Hey everybody, Adam Stott here. Thanks for checking out my podcast, Business Grow Secrets. You're absolutely in the right place. This podcast is going to reveal to you all of the secrets that you've been looking to discover that are going to allow you to cure your cash flow problems, attain more clients, bring in more leads for your business, and create systems and processes that give you the growth that you want. You are going to discover the business growth secrets you have been looking for that I've used to sell over £50 million worth of products and services on social media and help clients everywhere to grow their businesses on the mark. So let's get started on the Business Growth Secrets Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this very, very special episode of Business Growth Secrets. I'm here today with Simon Den and myself and Simon have been having a pre-chat. We've got so much to bring you on this episode today. Now, Simon is the founder of a hugely successful advertising agency called Dark Horses. Uh, been super successful on his journey towards building that that business and has even more recently started the talent agency Hero, um, which looks after higher profile professional footballers, uh, sports presenters, and much, much more. Simon's had a really diverse journey. Um, he's been speaking to me about some of the things that he's done in the past, from running nightclubs originally to having shops in Covent Garden and so much more. So he's had a, a, a real entrepreneur's journey. And I think I'm really looking forward to uncovering that, unpacking it, and uh, giving some business growth secrets to the audience today. So thanks for coming on, Simon. Welcome. Looking forward to, to hearing more. Thanks, things like you had a- I always find these things a bit like therapy sessions. It's certainly the cheapest form of therapy for me. <laughs> right. Well, well, we'll see. Let's, let's hope it's good therapy, right? <laughs> so uh, thanks for coming on, Simon. And and obviously, as our pre-chat that we've just had, you told me about the fact that you've had quite a diverse journey. Mm. Um, started your first business age 35, correct? Is that right? Yeah. Around, uh, around that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, for the for the last decade, built, Two really successful companies, but you've you've had some some in your own words some some different uh, journey and ups and downs and different things that have happened. So I really want to hear a little bit more about that. Why don't you tell us a little bit about you, a little bit about back, your background and how you came to start your first ventures, and and we'll, we'll take it from there, my friend. Brilliant. Well, thanks again for having me. Um, yeah, it's been quite a colourful sort of journey today, um, as we were speaking sort of off camera earlier. Um, it's interesting because I'm 45 now and, and I really only feel like I'm sort of just getting started, which hopefully should be reassuring for some of your listeners. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I had pretty sort of standard um, education. Um, I was always felt that I, I mean, I was a very hard worker. I certainly wasn't someone who was in any way naturally talented academically, uh, worked my nuts off, um, which basically ultimately ended up um, basically becoming a solicitor. Um, and I love studying law. But actually, um, when I actually started practicing law in London, um, I just felt really sort of out of place and it was quite a challenging environment for me, which which ultimately led to me not being very well. And so I sort of left the profession after practicing for four or five years in my sort of mid to late 20s. And yeah, I sort of, it, it was a very difficult time for me, but I look back now on that time with fondness because actually having that sort of life experience when you, you know, I ended up in a private hospital six months a day patient with severe anxiety and depression, um, yeah, was, was was a really valuable experience. And it was almost like a sort of life reset for me. I think everything I've been telling myself from the age of 16, that, you know, a lawyer is a good profession and doing that 
I think suddenly putting so much effort into that and then realizing actually it wasn't you it was quite distressing. But off the back of that, I think I sort of the reset really enabled me to um, find a profession that wasn't um, a professional career that wasn't in any way money orientated, but was something that I felt passionate about. And that that's what really put my me on my journey to to numerous businesses that that have involved in sport. Absolutely. Um, so you so you're working as a solicitor and found that it frankly brought you down then, you yeah. would say. You yeah. know, and it was incredibly hard. And I think even, you know, in the last few years the world has has certainly certainly embraced mental health a lot more. Back then, um it, it was it was a bit of a t- taboo subject. It was something that wasn't really addressed, obviously, you know, it, it was certainly something that, that happened to me. There was no fault of anyone at the, the firm I worked at, but it was sort of no one really knew what to do with me um, and, and how to address it and how to explain to colleagues what happened to me. And it was sort of, it was, it was, it was a challenging time. But as I said, I look back so fondly on it now and that sounds like quite a strange thing. But as I said, it, it, it then forced me down my road of, of, you know, working in sport. Obviously, I couldn't be a professional sportsman. That ship had sailed. But I, uh, the, the first venture I had out after that was opening a sports mem- memorabilia shop in Covent Garden. And, and I'd always been a, a, a collector of sports memorabilia, really passionate about collecting it. And it was funny. I had no experience in retail. I think my, my friends and family were sort of scratching their ha- heads as I, they attended my, the opening of my shop. Um, but again, it was, it, was, it, was a, it was a fascinating time. I was real frontline sales. Um, you know, going from being a solicitor to only amazing experience of people. You know, oh, I mean, yeah, you know, I didn't have any staff, so we were open seven days a week. So, you know, I'd get down to Covent Garden at probably seven o'clock. I'd sort of clean the shop. I'd open the door. We'd be open at half eight, and I'd close at half seven. And that was seven days a week, and it was fascinating experience in sales. I mean, what didn't help me is that two weeks after opening the shop was the two thousand eight Glowwood uh, crash. So suddenly going into an environment where I was selling sort of what you'd call sort of luxury items and <laughs> Lehman Brothers going out of business, it didn't yeah. really help. But well, that's when I started my first business, 2008. Yeah. I think, you know, even interjecting there already is that I talk to a lot of people and I'm sure you do because I know that you do um, the same. We're helping business owners and hmm. you find a lot of people in their current day job just feel like they're passing the days they're not mm-hmm. doing something that they're passionate about yeah. and because of that you know it really can lead, can really affect them and affect their ability to put things in place the ability to do things their ability to get motivated and it's a horrible place to be yeah. you know and i think it's really good that you acknowledge and talk about that and then mm-hmm. show that you actually went on a different journey but the yeah. question i want to ask you is you know you go from being a solicitor been feeling down about it, not enjoying it, to opening your shop, now working seven days a week, increasing your hours. Yeah. But did you feel burnt out at this point or, or was there something else driving you? That's a really good question. I think it's um, a, a big part of me wanted to have something that I enjoyed that occupied my time. Yeah. Uh, and I think a lot of people over the last two years have actually noticed and realized that suddenly once you've got time on your hands and you've got more time to think it, it can be quite dangerous well, not dangerous that's the wrong word but you you know thoughts come into your mind that never did when you're on the hamster wheel or you know in, in the sort of rat race and so yeah it was it was a it was incredibly um it, yeah, i worked very very hard at the shop but as i said i i really enjoyed it because 
you know, I'm what you'd call a people person. So every day of the week, I'd have people coming in and chatting. Obviously, they're always the people that were just coming for a chat, which aren't ideal because <laughs> when, you, when you're actually fundamentally not trying to make friends with people, you want them to buy things. You sort of, the people that come in on lunch breaks for a chat were, yeah, there, there were quite a few of them. I'm still mates with some of them. But, um, but no, in answer to your question, was it, was it um, exhausting and, and did, I, did I burn out? To be honest, I wouldn't say I burnt out. What I what happened was, in light of that, the 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 the, the economy crashing, I managed to keep the shop open for two years. Um, and actually, now I, I did sell a part of the business on when I'm I'm now still a shareholder in a business called the British Sports Museum, um, who oh. bought a lot of my stock off me, and, and I work closely with them today. So, yeah, there was certainly a silver lining. But the the, the thing I took most from that sort of two years running a shop was was sales and. You know, you mentioned in, in the intro, I, I, I worked in nightclubs. Again, that was a, a fascinating period because um, this was pre-social media. So the business I worked for called London Parties, me and um, 17 of us, we, we ran 22 parties a night in, in central London nightclubs. And it was, as I said, pre-social media. So we effectively used to, you know, we used to fill the nightclubs. We used to take the door money off the venue. They'd keep the bar money. And we were promoters. And so we were... We were putting 15,000, 20,000 people into nightclubs a week in London through text messages, phone calls, and direct marketing, flyering, postering. And so that, that again, was... And I didn't realize at the time, but going from sort of face-to-face sales in a shop to then actually move maneuvering people around venues, I was becoming a really good salesperson. Yeah. I did a training for a group that I look after, Gold Circle Group, the other day, and... Um, I did a sales process training, great training, love it. And I think it's essential for any business owner. And, and I asked them, which is a group of successful business owners, business owners that have got revenues anywhere from 250000 up to $10 million. And I said to them, how many of you have had actual sales training or been in sales environments before growing and starting new businesses? And, and how many of you have had none? And when I said how many had none, like every hand went up. And I, and I think it's astonishing. So I think one of the biggest skills that a business owner needs to succeed is the ability to be able to go out and sell themselves. Now, the irony is all my training was sales training. That's all I ever did. Yeah. And I think it stands a business owner in really good stead because you get you gain an ability to be able to make things happen. Hmm. And I think if you haven't got that ability to make things happen, you know, it's it, it can be quite... It can put a lot of barriers up for people, can't it? Absolutely. And, 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 and it astonishes me that even in you know today, sales is a dirty word in some circles. And what people don't realize it is that it's the backbone of every single business. And yeah. it's funny how in different departments of businesses across all walks of life, um, some people turn their nose up at the, the sales team. And, you know, as a business owner and having owned business across all sorts of verticals, anyone that can bring new business in is of huge value. And when push comes to shove, if you're doing your job really well alongside someone also doing their job really well, but they're bringing in new business, then... Obviously, you know, dead more, more valuable than you. <laughs> but, I think, but I think it, you know, it's a, it's, it's a massive life skill. But not, you know, just in business across everything. We're selling every day, even to our family members. Mm, absolutely, that, and, and it's really interesting. That you found that you got that from the nightclubs. You got that from, uh, from, from, from the previous role in the shop as well. So what happened next? You know, you did that for how long? Yeah, and, well, that was just um, three or four years. But, but one of the amazing things that fell out of that was that because of the, the type of nightclubs that we were working in in London, we, I was meeting a lot of professional sportsmen and women, men and women, and I became friends with lots of 
uh, well-known professional footballers and rugby players from the early sort of 2000s. Um, I won't name any names. Uh, the names are protected. Um, but became very good friends with them. And, and again, when you're in that environment and it's their social time, and, and obviously, again, this is in the era of the news of the world and the kiss and tell and the sort of um, mm. those sort of times, I had to make sure that when these guys were at the events we were organising, they were looked after and, and people weren't taking advantage of them whether that's paparazzi or whatever. So I built trust with a lot of these guys. And, you know, when I look back and then, you know, I can com- combine my my legal skills, my commercial contract skills, yeah. with having a network fresh sportsman, suddenly a light bulb moment was actually I'm effectively an agent. So I started working with a lot of these guys and it was, it was a brilliant experience. And then eventually I built up a, a business that was purchased by a company called Raw Global and now known as Intertalent. And I had a roster of clients, the likes of Vinnie Jones, um, Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank, John Carew, Jimmy Bullard, um, to name a few who, yeah, it was incredible. And, and it, what was also strange again was that, you know, I'd come from, I didn't have any background in talent management. I taught myself on the job. But again, going back to talent management, what I ended up doing was was 80% sales. Whether you're selling your talent to the professional club they pay for to try and increase their, their, their weekly wage, or I'm trying to increase their value off the field and selling to brands to get them roles as ambassadors for, for brands. So again, it was, it was very much sales. And that that was a, a path that was, was was thoroughly enjoyable. I loved it. It's where I met my, my wife. Um, this is when 2012, we were, we were discussing that as quite a pivotal year for me. Um, but yeah, brilliant. again, brilliant life experience. So you met, met your wife in 2012. Why do you feel it was a pivotal moment for you? It's yeah. interesting to mention that. Yeah, it really was. I think, I think it's, it's interesting. A lot of people, you know, yeah. most people who have success in business do have some kind of settled personal life behind the scenes, don't they? I think oh, that's important. I, you know, I was 35 at the time and I'd pretty much given up all hope. I think my family had given up all hope of ever coming to my wedding. Um, but <laughs> I was very blessed and I, and I met Lucy in, in the um, yeah, autumn of 2012. It was just after the Olympics, actually. And so it was a really special time in London and there was a real buzz about the place and obviously working in sport around London to 12 games was just such an exciting time. And yeah, met Lucy, got to know her and we actually went on our first date to a rugby match, which I don't think she ever forgives me. And the second date was at White Hart Lane. So yeah, she, she's still not forgiving me for that. <laughs> but um, yeah, it was a really interesting time. And I think just off the back of that, I think the your priorities really change and, and very quickly I, th- I think that, you know, I realised I've met, I've met the woman I want to spend the rest of my life with. And, and when that happens, a lot of things that I think occupy your time fall away. And that's when I really put my sort of put it down to what I would call the start of my personal development journey as well. You know, you know, we'll come on to it, but yeah, crazy crazy habits of getting up at 5am, trying to read four or five books a month. It all started down. And I think, and I I give credit to, to all of that for, 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 you know, some of the, the, the success I've had. Awesome. So brilliant. So, so you talked about your personal development journey and you see it with like most successful people. I think in sport is slightly different because most people in sport have coaches, have mentors anyway, right? Because they're, they're being mentored and coached in every area of their life, right? But a lot of the time people working as the agents or people like that perhaps don't have that. So what sort of personal development did you do to kind of improve yourself and start to start yeah. to grow what were some things that you remember that stood out for you either some books some training some coaches what, what kind of helped you yeah it's sort of- a really good question and, I, and I'm, I'm often trying to sort of share this information with other people because i think it's it really did change my life but I, I think one thing that um 
up until 2012 and in my 20s and 30s, I think it's fair to say I had quite a closed mindset. And I, and I wasn't, it wasn't I was willing to, not willing to learn, but I, I, I didn't really, I didn't really read that much. And also, if you think back then, YouTube wasn't really a big thing. I mean, it was around, but there certainly weren't the resources on there. And I think it was really over 2012, as I said, various things in my life happened that I went out searching for the information. And what I pretty quickly found was that as a resource, YouTube was fantastic. You know, the ignorance suddenly was a choice. Like back in the day, if you wanted to, to learn something, you'd probably have to go to a library, get a book out or you know, search in the self-help section of Waterstones, like, which is like one shelf. Whereas, you know, I think the it, it became um, it became a lot more accessible. And so, in answer to your question, I think that there are some brilliant books I've read. I mean, I'm trying to trying to think of some now, but the, I'd say the real, the real, the backbone and almost, I suppose, cornerstone of the the sort of books I read were people like Richard Branson, Alan Sugar, um, James Kahn. Darren Hardy, um, and I'm looking at my bookshelf now, uh, people like um, Lewis Howes, Grant Cardone, um, Sir Michael Ovitz, I mean, all sorts of people, uh, Rasmus Arkerson. So, so, you know, real powerful books around, um, I suppose, key traits in, in what it takes to actually sort of get that perceived success. And I think for me, there's a number of things that I took from that. And I think probably the biggest three were really around goal setting, consistency of habits, and actually putting into practice the resilience that I'd learned throughout that period in my 20s when, as I said, I wasn't very well. I'd invested a lot of time and my parents' money in the legal profession. And then the shop, which ultimately failed. Like Just a number of failures that historically I guess I'd perceived as failures, whereas actually now I look back and think, they were the best things that ever happened to me and I, and I really embraced them. Yeah, I think that's... So really, you're talking about a mindset change. Totally. I, you know, yeah, yeah, totally. And, and I think... Oh. So me around um, being totally open, honest and willing to, to n- never be the smartest person in the room. Yeah. And I think off the back of... Um, up until 2012, I think that for whatever reason... Um, I'm almost embarrassed about it now, but I always felt that I had to have the answers. And if I didn't have the answers, I'd be embarrassed. And um, whereas the success, and then I'm sure we'll come on to it, of, of um, the agency that I built, Dark Horses, was all about bringing in people who are brighter and smarter than me and surrounding myself with experts and, and, and willing to be the, the, the least important, quietest voice in the room. And that, that, that was a real light bulb moment for me. And it's amazing when you get some good people around you, how far you can travel or how much further you can travel than you actually thought you could. You know, you, you've got a vision, somebody else has a different vision and that vision and that new voice takes you to a different place, doesn't it? For sure. Totally. But also it's something I've noticed since stepping down from, from um, the leadership role of Dark Horses back in 2020, uh, autumn 2020. Um and and you know coming on to launch hero one of the things i've missed over the last 18 months is 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 that being surrounded by really bright people obviously we're all sort of put into a lockdown and so therefore working from home you were we were all started it somewhat but yeah it's one of the things I, I really crave and you know i love being around people and i sort of i love being around people i can learn from and that's you can get a degree of that on you know by reading and as i said i i'm 
I, I read lots of books, I watch lots of content, but you can't quite beat being in the room with people. Yeah, um, I, I, I yeah. really miss that. Absolutely. So let's talk about the agency. What what kind of happened then? So where did where did that how did that evolve? Yeah. How did it happen? What was different this time around in your mind potentially? So when you started this project, what do you feel was different for you starting yeah. out? So with regards to when we launched Dark Forces, you mean? Yeah. yeah. So as I said, I, I I fell out of the talent agency world probably around in around 2015 as I was given a very good opportunity um, by a really good friend of mine, Lawrence Delalio, who had gone into an advertising agency called BBH to launch BBH Sport. And so between 2014 and 2016, I had this incredible exposure at one of the best ad agencies in the world. Um chap called Ben Fennell was a CEO. Lawrence was sort of bringing in all the business. And I was surrounded by these incredible people. And it's really my time there. I, I sort of had a bit of a light bulb moment and, and really just spotted the gap in the market for a, for a sports-focused creative agency. And, and to be able to do that, going back to what we were just talking about, I knew that I couldn't do it by myself. And I knew that I had to approach people who were already smashing in the world of advertising. And I did that. And I approached three founders of an agency called Lucky Generals. Helen, Danny, and Andy. We sat down in the spring of 2016. Um, I presented the idea about sports focused advertising agency. And then by June, we'd launched it. And it was incredible. And I think from that day one of going into their existing agency and borrowing their resource and, and building it by myself, and it, it was brilliant. But I think that that humility to understand that, you know, I, I wasn't the advertising expert. I'd bring in the sports contact because they would complement that with the advertising experts and the advertising experience. It worked really well. And we, we, we had a, you know, the first six months was hard, you know, aren't they always? And we didn't have a single piece of business. And the Christmas of 2016, we won our first piece, first piece of business. That enabled me to, to bring in one employee um dan cunningham who was brilliant and dan became my head of new business ultimately and it was a fantastic time the agency in 2017 grew um we had some massive wins we we won nissan's global sports portfolio which to this day is now still an agency client we launched peloton in the uk which as you know yeah brand so we did our first advertising campaign here and worked the likes of puma justy and some big brands and in 2018, so two years in, we were close to 50 employees. We were having amazing growth. And it, again, it was sort of the the underlying essence of that business was that humility. Was We, we developed a really good culture. And just going back to the name, I think it's really worth stressing that, that you know the name was chosen Dark Horses because we wanted to be underdogs. We, we, we wanted everyone to sort of, I guess, um, I say take our competition by surprise really and and we we, we didn't you know we didn't shout from the rooftops we, we got about our business very quietly and, and we developed a really good reputation for, for, for making great work so the agency uh, doing incredibly well to this day still going really well um melissa is now the ceo so i stood down in the autumn of 2020 which was the right thing to do personal circumstances i, I moved out of london moved down to sussex the pandemic had sort of taken its toll in various ways and so yeah, as a sort of business to to still be involved in as a shareholder is fantastic. But yeah, with, without a shadow of a doubt, um, I learned so much in that time. And and, and as we mentioned, I, um, at the end of last year, um, I've just launched my, my new talent agency. So I've obviously gone back into the world of talent. Um, I'm hoping to incorporate some of the lessons I've learned 
through the Dark Horses experience and through some Absolutely, of the other yeah. So sort of combining all the different things you've done into... And that's it. It's just being on a journey and, and picking things up and different things that worked, that didn't work. And I think just being really honest about always being a student. And, and that's the thing. Every morning I wake up and I, I'm, I'm genuinely excited about what I'm going to learn every single day. Because I, and again, back, back to my 20s, I thought I probably knew it all then. And I, I didn't have a clue. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And how's it been with the new agency that you run? It's been cool. It's been, yeah, it's been really good. I mean, it's been, great people on board. Yeah, it's been great. I mean, you know, my, my biggest client, Chris Kamara, as I'm sure you know, I, I've worked with Cammy um, for a long time now anyway. And even at Dark Horses, he, you know, I was helping him on the side. Um, but we're, we're, we're doing some brilliant things. Um, we're working with lots of big brands. We're doing lots of charities. I mean, the essence of, of Hero and the reason we've called it Hero is that we want to create a platform where Yes, we'll be doing commercial deals for these well-known existing sportsmen and women and retired, but also doing a lot around the mentorship space, whether that's them becoming mentors of other people or getting them correct mentors. And a big part of it is giving back. I mean, obviously, you know, the likes of Marcus Rashford and the amazing work he did around school meals throughout the the COVID pandemic. Um, We really want to help our personalities give back because I think a lot of the time, um, they don't really know how to give back to the community they've come from. So, yeah, it, it's been really exciting. We, we, we're working with a, a couple of well-known um, current footballers. We, I, I can't quite mention is yet. We're working with a, a, a young uh, Leeds rugby union player who's just been that captain of Leeds Rhinos. So, yeah, it's, it's a really exciting time. And I, I think at the moment, I'm we've obviously just entered when entering spring, which is amazing. But it's sort of, I'm, I'm still trying to work out. The sort of the next phase because you know we are incredibly busy. I've got um, two brilliant people now helping me at Dark Horse. Uh, Dark Horse is that Hero, um, and it's 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 really the the sort of the junction I'm at is to is about rolling the dice. It's about do I want to get an office? Do you know? Do I have the skills at the moment to build an agency where everyone's working from home? So yeah, we're just mapping that out at the moment because I think there's. As I stressed earlier, I love being around people. I think an agency needs that. I think an agency needs to define its own culture. Um, but yeah, we're sort of four months in, we're going really well, but it's sort of, you know, is now the right time to go and get an office somewhere? I, I don't know. And I don't know if any, I, I, I'd be interested to hear your view on that. I mean, what has your experience been over the last sort of six months of people going well, back to businesses? I know I've got a lot of successful clients that have moved their businesses to working mm. um, from a home base and and, yeah. and actually you know I've got a good example of a guy that I work very closely with probably doing about 10 million a year and he yeah. hasn't got the office anymore right yeah. he's literally running everything from um from from home yeah but I, I talked to him he's a partner of mine in in some different uh businesses and he tells me that he still misses that office and he misses that environment but he's yeah. working so smoothly at such a low cost base it's a difficult decision. So I do understand sort of where, you, where you're coming from. I think you can go... Yeah. Sorry, personally, go on. Personally, I have my own offices. I love to have the people around. I, I think you you can't beat being able to go in and talk to the individuals and have you know, pull the people together for a meeting. And, you know, it's just slightly different. But I do also recognise that we did a lot of good work during the pandemic yeah. from home. We yeah. did really do a lot of good work. Yeah. And people were really focused. and. 
and some people work better from home. So it's, it's a, it is a difficult one, isn't it? it you know, I think it's. I think if you had a, a business with an office pre-pandemic, um, I think it's easier to go back to an office. Yeah. yeah. I think launching a business without an office is quite. It's, it's just. Is it, I just can't see how we're going to do it. So. But I also think the role of the office may have changed. And again, I'm not really sure. And I don't necessarily want to commit to a lease or anything like that just yet. Because I think I wonder if I certainly experienced throughout the pandemic working a lot more productively at home because there's less distraction. So so maybe there's a sort of model where the office in London, for example, isn't just a place where you go and do your work. But it's where actually you go in and, and you, you share ideas and it becomes a sort of cultural hub for the business. And I think that's what is quite interesting because I reckon most people get more work done at home, to be perfectly honest with you. Yeah, and then, well, it, yeah, then it's quite interesting that then you do you go to London to spend time with your colleagues in the office and do other things. It's, I don't know how it's going to work out. With the tools and things out there now, you know, um, that, that you can use and have those virtual offices online, just trying to think of the software we use. We had a virtual office online, uh, which was pretty cool. And I, I can't think of the tool that we used, but you can see everyone where they were. The, the office is on. They chose where they were sitting. You could oh, click really? On, yeah, click where they're sitting and you can just go and sit with them. You can enter that room with them. Really? I think of the software, yeah, it was cool. Okay, that's um, interesting. Yeah, yeah. So we had a virtual office, um, and literally we're using it all online, and then everyone was there. So what they did is they log on, and mm. they populate in this office right. on your screen. And if you want to talk to them, you click, and it brings their video up, and you talk to them instantly. No you want to pick someone else, you bring it up, and you do it like that. Um, that was pretty cool. Plus, you have a feed. Uh, a live feed running in that office where you can talk to everyone on that live feed. And if somebody clocks off, they clock off. So you know when people are at work and you know when people aren't at work. So I've mean, somebody... heard of that. I mean, it sounds great. Do, do you think that existed before the pandemic? Um, I'll, it's really a shame because we're on a live podcast, but I will look it up and yeah. I will let you know. You and in the show notes description, I'll tell you what software we use. Brilliant. I genuinely, genuinely can't remember. You might just solve my big problem there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And there's obviously other tools like Slack, which a lot of people are using, yeah. um, which are good. But I found this kind of virtual office was quite cool. And then I think that you can hybrid a model up where you can go into... You know, I don't know if you ever watched the story of WeWork and things like that. It's a crazy yeah. story. That's, that's a great book if you've not read that book. Yeah, I don't know if you've read that, it. I've not read it, but I've seen it. Oh, it's a phenomenal book that was. Um, but those WeWork spaces and stuff, there's a lot of those in London mm. uh, where you can get places where maybe you do go and meet, but you do two yeah. days a week. You can certainly hybrid it now. And yeah. I think it's something that businesses need to consider. Yeah, definitely. Because um, it's also an attractive proposition for people when they come and work for people that you can say, well, look, it's three days from home, it's two days in London. And we have this sort of joint office that we go into, and it's a, you know, it's a not a long lease, it's a monthly lease, it's not expensive, you know, for the business owner. Plus, you can get the best of both worlds, sort of thing. Yeah. But also, as you said, from a business owner's point of view, second to salaries, it's the second biggest cost, or it's the, you know, that undoubtedly yeah. the biggest cost. So it's definitely, it's launching a business. Why give yourself that headache if you don't have to? Like that. That's you know, you're always going to obviously give yourself salary headache. So, but why give yourself a rent headache? Absolutely, absolutely. And if you can, you'd be better off spending on saying what grows the business, like marketing, totally. right? Than uh, than pounding so. it into a location that is barely used, right? Yeah. So absolutely. Well, look, yeah. So it's a 
So it's certainly been an interesting journey then, uh, Simon. I've yeah. been interested to see where Hero goes. You know, it's really uh, cool to hear a bit about Dark Horses and, and how that business is, uh, a big, you know, you built that business and were part of that uh, journey. So what, what's uh, next for you then? Where do you want to take Hero? What's your kind of ambition sort of long-term for, for this business? You're working obviously yeah. with some really high-profile people. Yeah, it's interesting. I think we've got, we've got some fascinating projects on the go, you know, globally. Um, some really exciting things happening in the NFT and podcast space and even in the metaverse now, which is is mind-boggling for me. But, um, you know, being a, being a Football World Cup year, it's always going to be big in, in the world that I'm operating in. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. You know, look, I don't want to build a business for the sake of building a business on, you know, based on headcount or all that sort of stuff. I, you know, I want, I want to build a business that, that can genuinely give back. And that, that was a whole point around, you know, calling the business hero. I want to help people in sport with big profiles give back to the community so that's very much the, the mission that we're on and i think we you know we've had a really fast start and, and for me personally it's really exciting it's a lovely usp isn't it and you're doing some giving back yourself as we discussed earlier um you've got a, a an ultra marathon that you're going to yeah. be running and that you're going to be doing do you want to describe that a little bit yeah to us thank you yeah what, what we're about? yeah so myself and um Three friends are running a hundred miles around London on the sixteenth of April. So we've we've hundred miles. Yeah, we've plotted a route around London. So it's we're running for a charity called Greenhouse Sports, who provide basically PE coaches for schools that don't have access to sport. Which, you know, from personal experience, it's something very close to my heart. You know, I often look back to my childhood and my fondest memories are without doubt playing sport with friends. And so, yeah, you know, I think that you know, inner city children, a lot of schools don't even have PE. Like for me. I just don't know where I'd be, like the social skills you learn from it, that sort of thing, it's, it's invaluable. So, yeah, we're, we're, we're looking to raise around 100 grand for Greenhouse. We're doing two laps of London. Um, there's four of us setting out on the 100-mile route. So it's two laps, Marylebone, down to Richmond, back round, over to Greenwich, Isle of Dogs, City, back in town. So we're doing that twice. Wow. We reckon it'll take us about 20 hours. Um it's going to be a long old day. We've got lots of um, other people. Well, London marathon's hard enough, but that's <laughs> four times. Yeah. So we've got quite a few other people joining us on the route as well. Um, so yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun, and, and fingers crossed we, we raise some money. So yeah, I'll definitely are share. You a keen runner, are you, Simon? Yeah. Again, going back to sort of mental health and well-being, it's something that again I got into. I ran my first marathon in 2014, and um, never really looked back. It's for me. It's my. It's my my favorite time of the day I, I try and get out every day whether it's to just clear my head or to, to listen to a podcast it's actually probably why I listen to so many podcasts because I'm out I, I probably run about 10 hours a week um but yeah it's, it's I, I really enjoy it and I've got a really good little group, group of mates now who are into it so yeah it's, you know when you're able to sort of give back and it's actually quite selfish really I get to go running but you're also doing a good, good, good thing so yeah it's it's good it's good Awesome. And they can go to your, you've got a Just Giving page to raise money. Yeah, I'll, I'll send that to you to share in the show notes if possible. That'd be brilliant. Yeah, yeah, of course. Well, we'll put that in the show notes. So if you would like to, uh, I think bloody hell, 100 miles, it probably deserves a few donations. That's pretty <laughs> powerful, right? Um, 100 miles uh, to, to supply greenhouse sports with PE um, coaches and trainers in inner cities to allow people to get that help. I think it's a really good cause. Mm-hmm. And you know, we'll certainly make a donation as well, Simon, after. Mm-hmm. So we'll put that in the uh, in the show notes for you, buddy. So we're going to do that well. I want to say a big thank you for coming on. Uh, really it's been really, it. really great. great. 
Yeah, really I love the work you're doing. It's really inspiring. And I think, you know, being able to share what you do, I think it, it's really valuable. And, I, you know, I, I encourage all my mates to your show and, and I'll certainly be sharing this one. Oh, thank you. Very kind of you. Okay. Uh, so thanks very much, everybody, for tuning in. Go and where can people follow you, Simon? They want to kind um, of follow you. Twitter, Simon, uh, at Simon J. Dent. That's probably the best place. Listen to my Simon. Brand. Simon J. Dent at Twitter. So go and follow Simon. And of course, if you haven't already, make sure you go and hit the five-star review on this podcast so more people can listen to the fantastic guests and stories that we're bringing on to help you succeed in business. You know, hopefully you've really drawn some things from Simon today in the fact of never give up, right? You're one moment away from actually discovering your passion, your purpose to go and succeed. Uh, And of course, remember that, you know, life is a journey. I think Simon really wanted to get that across is that no matter where you're starting from, he started his first business age 35 for now to achieve some great success in a decade. But it doesn't matter where you're starting from. You know, it's never too late. You've got to be passionate in order to go and grow and get the results that you want. Passionate and patience um, equal the results that you want to get. So thanks for so much, Simon. And I look forward to seeing you all soon. Thank you very much. Cheers. Hey, everybody. Adam here. And I hope you loved today's episode. Hope you thought it was fabulous. And if you did, I'd like to ask you a small favor. Could you jump over and go and give the podcast a review? Of course, I'll be super grateful if that is a five-star review. We're putting our all into this podcast for you, delivering you the content, giving you the secrets. And if you've enjoyed it, please go and give us a review and talk about what your favorite episode is, perhaps. Every single month, I select someone from that review list to come to one of my exclusive academy days and have lunch with me on the day meeting hundreds of my clients so if you want that to be you then you're going to be in with a shout if you go and give us a review on itunes please of course do remember to subscribe so you can get all the up-to-date episodes peace and love and i'll see you very very soon thank you